It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This is Access Atlanta, your weekly look at what's fun, entertaining, and educational in and around Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Let's get started with a couple of events that are happening around town this week. When esteemed civil rights legend and former Atlanta mayor Andrew Young placed his weight behind a new development in the downtown Gulch area in 2018, he described the space as an unsightly hole in the ground. That hole, literally speaking, consists of parking lots and railways surrounding the Five Points Marta Station, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, State Farm Arena, and South Castleberry Hill. But figuratively speaking, the space has lacked any sense of identity since the city's former transportation hub, Terminal Station, was torn down in 1971. A group of 35 diverse artists worked with Centennial Yards, the Gulch developers, to install a light display in the center of a parking lot last month dubbed Heartbeat ATL. It runs through early March. Find out more about this bright spot in the heart of downtown Atlanta on Rodney Ho's Georgia Entertainment Scene blog at accessatlanta.com. March 2020 started off difficult for Corday. He had to adjust to not being able to tour or experience life when the coronavirus pandemic caused a global shutdown. The viral sensation turned introspective rapper refused to feel deprived, so he channeled that energy into perfecting his craft and exploring other creative and community interests. The result is the North Carolina-born, Maryland-raised rapper's second full-length studio album from a bird's-eye view. Corday is bringing his 28-city tour with a full live band to the Masquerade's Heaven Stage on February 8th. It's his first performance in Atlanta since playing center stage as part of his last tour for his major label debut, 2019's The Lost Boy, in February 2020. Read our interview with Corday on accessatlanta.com and in Friday's Go Guide, where you'll also find more events in and around Atlanta. Stay tuned for more events later in the podcast, and after the featured conversation, we'll take a look at what the AJC is bringing you this week, both online and in print. But first, we'll hear from longtime Atlanta artist and educator Constance Talkin, a retired professor emerita at Georgia State University, who offers a personal take on the darker side of development in her solo show at White Space Gallery. The show is divided into two bodies of work in two separate spaces. The main exhibition, Exit Wounds, is centered on the disruption of development in Tolkien's Decatur neighborhood. And in the smaller cellar space close to the main gallery, Tolkien's work continues in Between Worlds, where she photographs a hornet's nest with the kind of granular detail that suggests a scientist studying a specimen under a microscope. 
Felicia Feaster talked with Talkin about the work and the inspiration behind it for this week's podcast, and she's here to introduce that conversation. Welcome, Felicia. Hi, Shane. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here, and uh, this sounds like a, a pretty fascinating uh, exhibition. I find Constance such an amazing artist. She's a very influential uh, Atlanta artist, as you said. She's a distinguished retired professor from G Georgia State University, and she's just had a lot of influence on so many photographers who have come through the city and gone through that program. So she's a force of nature in that sense, but she's also a very important artist in Atlanta and, and the nation um, because of the work she does, which often has to do with life and death. In this particular exhibition, it's about this tension between the human world and the intervention of urban development and how that encroaches on nature and animals and plant life. But she's often tackled these ideas in many other bodies of work. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, this is sounds like the kind of work that that everyone can relate to. We've all had some sort of uh, dealing with with development and, and changes to our environment and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Who hasn't suddenly turned a corner in Atlanta, gone down a street you, you haven't been on in a while, and suddenly there's a high rise? It's a city undergoing an incredibly um, intense uh, development, and it's often shocking, you know, how, how that registers on the day to day. But Constance is really fascinating for zeroing in on minutiae. She's very interested in, in small effects. So she, in this exhibition, you know, hones in on animal prints in dirt around the construction site that's going on um, next to her home. So she's really looking at the small um, lives that are affected by this phenomenon, not just our own lives. Right. So it's really about our, our encroachment on nature, it sounds like. Exactly. And, you know, I, in speaking with her, I've, I've known about her work for a long time. I've, I've known about her for a long time, but she actually, in our conversation, gets into some really interesting ideas and um, an early childhood trauma that I was not aware of that has really informed a lot of her work. So I found it uh, an especially interesting conversation. Well, that's great. So uh, is there anything else we should know before we go into that conversation? I'll just say to kind of ground this current body of work that Constance has done other projects around taxidermied animals. She's done a project um, about that uh, industry. She has done a project about, project about her own breast cancer, and she's done early work about alligator hunts in Florida and Louisiana. So she's always interested in these cycles of life and death and how human beings have sort of displaced animals and controlled animals. So really rich, interesting stuff. Well, thank you so much for bringing us this conversation, Felicia. Thank you. And now let's hear from Constance Talkin. I'm here with Constance Talkin, who is an artist, longtime Atlanta artist, who has an exhibition currently at White Space Gallery in Inman Park that is called Exit Wounds, as well as another uh, project called Between Worlds. And we're going to talk to her today about nature and culture. 
Constance, this is a topic that most Atlantans can probably relate to, whether they hate it or love it, urban development. Can you talk about the very personal inspiration for this project, where, where Exit Wounds came from? Uh, exit Wounds came from actually my backyard. Uh, there was a project that was proposed next door on nine acres of land. And I live in an old, I have an old lot in Decatur, it's an acre and a half, and it's adjacent to this nine acres. Various proposals came forward to the city of Decatur for developing the land. The proposals entailed clearing the entire forest of the nine acres and putting in a suburban development. People in the neighborhood organized and fought against it. We kept that kind of plan out for a number of years. And then finally, the developer came forward, um, had hired a conservation planner, and he proposed that if he were given 50% of the land to put his development on, he would give the other 50% to the city of Decatur, and they would uh, make a conservation easement it would have, uh, it would be protected. It could never be developed in perpetuity. And we in the neighborhood and the city of Decatur felt that that was about as good as we were gonna get. And so um, the approval was made for the plan, which entailed putting in 26 houses on this uh, five acres. And I live next door to it. And so when this process began, um, I started getting involved in, in creating uh, sound pieces, collecting sound pieces, um, making photographs, and, and collecting video pieces. Um, and I really, you know, did it in desperation. Um, the impact on the environment is really, you know, sort of unimaginable. This was a hill that was densely forested. And so when they came in, they involved uh, clear cutting all the trees off the property. And this was done not in a matter of weeks, but it was done in a matter of days. And then large scale uh, earth moving equipment came in that was comparable to what you would see on a coal mining site. And they started uh, sculpting the land to create these terraces for the houses that were to be built. And so your show, the, the result of this sounds like very cataclysmic situation happening next to you, is photographs of some of that intervention in the land, I guess you would say, the, the earth being scooped up, the trees being cut down. And then next to that, you have really lyrical, lovely images of some animal prints um, walking on the soil. So sort of this animal presence that is coexisting next to this human presence. But I would love it if you would talk about one image in the show that I found very intriguing. Um, can you tell me what you were thinking when you created the image Exit Wounds number one? It's an image of a tree, but a very complicated image of a tree. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, that was interesting. That was a tree that actually was located down by the road. As I said, this is a hill. So I think that when they removed trees that were closer down by the hill or the street, excuse me, um, that they would, you know, cut 
cut them as you would, you know, with a chainsaw, a typical uh, uh, tree removal. And I was walking up to the site one day. I would go up on the site on the weekends and I would do work. During the week, I would do work just from my property through the trees and such. Um, but I distinctly remember when I went up on the site that weekend and I was going up this little uh, back trail and I turned and I saw that tree and it was like, you know, a totem pole to me or something. It was representative of um, this sort of great sacrifice that I felt had occurred on that land. And, you know, behind it was this cascading ribbon, you know, of orange fencing and you know, it was like very beautiful, but at the same time, it was um, heart piercing, just like that spike, you know, that comes out of the base of that trunk. Um, and so that was, became sort of a, a signature image for me, uh, for the body of work. And then I just continued, you know, to do work and I would find other sort of relics, you know, in the aftermath of the destruction up on the site. And so there are other trees um, that I photographed that showed maybe sort of like, you know, the, the life source that they came from with their roots and everything uh, being very visible and dramatic and, and um, so forth, you yeah. Absolutely. I, I, the trees have a lot of emotional resonance in your show because they almost have, they almost look like something that's been disturbed that's human like they have associations with injury that we can relate to they look traumatized in the same way a human body might be traumatized so i, I thought that was pretty powerful i mean that one there's one image in the first gallery too on your left where it's a lower image and you're seeing how the roots of the tree are in the background but the foreground of what you see is how the tree almost was exploded up front and the branching and the stripping come out of it. It's almost sort of dance-like, you know, the shapes and forms that you see. And so it's like this inherent sort of gracefulness, you know, embedded in those trees, you know, and that they're just expressing themselves even as they have been, you know, wrenched out of the earth. Definitely. And I'm not an expert tracker, so maybe you can tell me some of the animal prints that we see in exit wounds. You have, as I said, this series of smaller works that show, it looked to me like birds, maybe a possum, maybe a raccoon, those kinds of imprints in the soil. What kind of animals do we see? Well, I mean, that whole property, it was a wildlife habitat uh, where I live with my property, which is a National Federation backyard habitat, a certified backyard habitat. On the developed property, there was another uh, backyard habitat certified. There's a park across the street. There are 32 contiguous acres of green space in this area. And so the animals moved about freely. Uh, there were red fox, coyote denned out back there. Um, possum, of course, and raccoon. And the prints that you see, definitely you're seeing a lot of raccoon prints. Um, you're seeing some possum prints. You're seeing coyote prints. And you're seeing these lovely lace-like puncture uh, streaming prints that are of some kind of like centipede or, you know, some sort of like large insect kind of animal that is creating these beautiful sort of little loops through that, you know, red sandy soil. And, and I would find those when I would go up on the weekend and, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, 
in the midst of all of this destruction, this life still persists, you know, and, and these animals and these critters still traverse this land that has been, you know, deeply disturbed. And I find that just very, you know, poetic and compelling. It really reminded me a lot of what many of us, not just in America, but around the world experienced during COVID with animals kind of reasserting themselves, just reminding us that we aren't the only ones occupying this planet. There's a whole, you know, subculture of animals and insects out there. Yes, 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 that's right. So you, you've you um, created kind of two bodies of work for this show, Exit Wounds and Between Worlds. And they're related and have their own distinct um, character. Can you talk about why you wanted to show these two bodies of work together? Well, uh, Between Worlds is derived from a hornet's nest that I received from my neighbor who had removed it uh, because it was very close to his children's swing set. And so it was dangerous in his mind. And and so when he, when I saw him doing it, I told him I'd love to have that. And he gave it to me. And I brought it home thinking, of course, that all the hornets had died. He had sprayed it. And um, I brought it into the house, put it on the kitchen counter, uh, went about my day, went, went to bed. That night I woke up and went down to the kitchen. And there were a couple of the hornets that were still sort of like moving around and, you know, the last sort of, you know, breath of life that they had. And so I gathered them up and put the nest out on my stoop on the patio and went about my day. And the next day I got up and when I opened up the door, the nest had been attacked, what I presumed to be by a raccoon. And, you know, I was just thinking about how that raccoon probably had smelled, you know, the protein or whatever it is from the hornet and that's food for them. And it came and, and, and fed off the hornets. And, you know, just that we humans, we see the land as a resource that we can, can consume for our needs. And, you know, homes were destroyed when that property was opened up, homes of, of all kinds of animals. And here again was a home that was destroyed. Um, but yet in its destruction, I myself found extraordinary, you know, beauty and poignancy. And so when I made those images, I just felt like it was still, you know, talking about the same kind of, of, of thing, you know, sort of these this kind of cycles of, of life with you know, creation and destruction and, you know, these dualities of life and death and, and how they just, you know, feed into one another. And so it was very much too about homes again. Let's take a short break and look at more events in and around Atlanta. Downton Abbey, the exhibition, arrived in Atlanta last fall, but it's still going strong. You can see it at the Perimeter Point Strip Mall in Sandy Springs. More than 50 of the original costumes from the show are featured, from wedding dresses to maid outfits. And there are multiple videos, including immersive projection technology to showcase some of the show's highlights in a room resembling the mansion's library. Tickets are $36 to $39. Originally scheduled to run through January 17th, the exhibition now has tickets on sale at least through February. Find out what to expect and how to get tickets on accessatlanta.com. 
In the Center for Puppetry Arts, click clack moo, cows that type, Farmer Brown's cows begin to leave him notes. In this show based on the book by Doreen Cronin, illustrated by Betsy Lewin, the cows learn to use an old typewriter found in the barn to advocate for better conditions. The show, for ages 4 to 12, runs through March 13th and tickets are $18 to $22. Find out more at the Center for Puppetry Arts website, puppet.org. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Let's continue our conversation with Constance Talkin. And this may be my own sort of um, segue, my feeling about where your creative impulses come from. But I, and so you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I feel like you were probably that kid who was crouched down on the ground, looking at ants up close. I mean, an observer of nature from the get go. How did you first get interested in nature? And, you know, were there any experiences of nature that really stuck out that stick out for you uh, from your childhood? You know, I, I really don't know, though my mother said I was the kind of kid who would bring home the stray puppies, you know, and wanted to keep them. But I have no memory of that. Um, but really, I think that all of this, uh, to be very frank with you, uh, is traced back to experiencing death as a very young child. Um, my father died from pancreatic cancer when he was 45 years of age. And I was seven years of age. And it's extremely confusing to me. And I think that that, you know, exposed me to a dimension of life at a very young age that, you know, impacted me and sort of shaped the way I look at and perceive and in my own way, you know, kind of examine and, and understand things. And, you know, I've always been, you know, so at, at, when I was very young, I thought I was going to be a vet. That was my aspiration. So I, I have always been interested in animals and, and attracted to them and attached to them. Um, I have very, very strong um, uh, attachment to the, you know, dogs that I've had in my life, et cetera. Um, but again, you know, it's that human animal relationship and those commonalities that we have you know, where we um, have very similar needs, but ultimately uh, we all have the same destiny of, of death, you know? And um, so it's kind of that life cycle interest, I think that really ties me to uh, looking closely at, at animals. And I should say your, your dog has a bit of a starring role in some of the images and in the film that you've created for Exit Wounds. Um, it's almost like a little story, a, a Jack London uh, story, a, a woman and her dog. What's your dog's name? Well, that dog's name was Tyner and, and he's deceased. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, 
Yeah, but he lived, uh, got him as a, a little puppy, a foundling at probably four or six months, and he lived till he was 17 and a half years of age. Um, but the, there's a photograph, a small little photograph, a still photograph of him, and it's entitled Witness. And then you're right in the video, he has a couple of little star moments. But again, it was, you know, I live alone. I, I love my solitude. I have a very kind of sanctuary kind of place here. And, and uh, Tyner was my soulmate. And we both, you know, were impacted by this extraordinary invasion that occurred because the sound was tremendous all day long. And he and I both, you know, would sit and, and, and you know, ponder and, and, and uh, you know, be in sort of awe of, of these incredible sounds that were uh, invading our home. Yeah, I love when you focus in on your ear and Tyner's ear and it's, they're so, dog's ears are so expressive when they hear something, they def, you can tell. So it was a really nice detail. So I feel like so many artists have come out of COVID with nature very much on their minds. Does that feel true for you? Granted, you know, that's been something you've examined in previous bodies of work, but do you see this as, as a phenomenon um, coming out of COVID? I, I, I think you're really right, Felicia. I mean, I think that people, you know, have an inherent desire to connect with nature. It's a, a, a soothing and, and nurturing um, sort of response that people have to it. And I think, you know, everybody has uh, dealt with a lot of trauma and estrangement and, and sort of listlessness, you know, in, in this COVID pool that we're all sort of like drifting around in. And people are seeking comfort, you know, and, and um, so I think that people are reaching out into nature. And I think that artists, too, with climate change becoming, you know, much more, um, you know, obvious and prevalent and greater, you know, acknowledgement of it. Um, and, and people are experiencing really severe reactions from it, you know, with losing, you know, homes to fires or whatever. Um, the list is is ad nauseum. Um, so I think that people are, you know, having that sort of uh, time of, of critical kind of analysis of, of what our relationship is to, you know, this planet that we live on and, and the environment that we need in order to survive and watching that environment um, being sullied and, and desecrated and what that means for us as humans. And you've lived in Atlanta long enough. You're a retired professor from Georgia State University. You've had a great deal of influence on so many artists in Atlanta, and you've been in Atlanta for a number of years, a number of decades, as I understand it. Does it does this kind of development, this kind of change that's happening in the city give you pause? Does it make you think about leaving your sanctuary, your home, and going someplace else, or is it something that you just kind of have to deal with if you're gonna live in a dynamic city? Um, I am, you know, since COVID, I, I've been pretty reclusive and, and very, very careful. So I go to out just to a few places, but when I do go out further into the city, I'm shocked 
as to how rapidly the city is being transformed with development. And I am hearing more and more and more from friends and neighbors and people out in the community, the same kind of response. It was very, very interesting at the opening, the number of people who came up to me who were telling their stories of being of severely impacted by a development project in their neighborhood. But as far as me leaving my sanctuary, no, you know, Felicia, I think I'm going to be buried in the backyard. I mean, I'll live here until I die. I really love my home. <laughs> I can relate to that post-COVID. It definitely becomes even more so a sanctuary. And you have a gorgeous garden. There's a moment um, in your film that you made for Exit Wounds where I can see your garden and it is absolutely magical looking. So thank you. Thank you. And you, you said you thought for a time when you were a child, maybe of being a vet, you um, have an, an MFA in photography from a very prestigious institution, Yale, from a very good photography program, but you also have a BA in psychology. Does that BA that does your interest in psychology ever come into play in your work? Um, I think it does in the sense that, I mean, particularly in my earlier bodies of work where I um, traveled along the coastal regions in southeastern United States, and I did a huge body of work called Fragments of an Elegy. And, you know, I, I, it involved me meeting people and being with people and having exchanges with them, uh, conveying my respect and my interest in their lives and their culture and them trusting me. Uh, and so, you know, I think that, you know, those experiences I had in learning about human behavior and interactions, um, you know, came into play during those kinds of, of, of uh, creative sessions with people. And I'm always interested in sort of the inner world, you know, what, what's going on inside and the complexities and um, the paradoxes. That's what's most interesting to me is all that gray stuff. And beyond um, your your projects, Exit Wounds and beyond, in Between Worlds, you have often taken a documentary approach. There's often been a documentary element to the projects that you've done in the past as well. Why do you think you you are you gravitate towards that element of reality instead of creating you know strictly formal or works that don't necessarily have that grounding in in life and experience and as you've said life cycles? Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm attached to the world I live in. You know I'm I'm fascinated by it. Um, I'm engaged in it. Um, it's mysterious to me. Um, I, I love investigating it. Um, I'm, I'm just attached to the world. I don't know. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Constance, for taking time to speak with us about your show at White Space Gallery. People can check it out through March. Um, it's a very resonant show for anyone who lives in Atlanta. As you say, it has a lot of bearing on our day-to-day -day reality. So it's deeply satisfying for that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Felicia. It's been a pleasure. The AJC brings you the best of what's happening in and around Atlanta on accessatlanta.com, along with deeper looks at trends in arts and entertainment. Here's a taste of what you'll find there. 
Eight months ago, Atlanta's black visual arts community buzzed over the selection of veteran curator Karen Comer-Lowe to run the Hammonds House Museum. But in early January, and on the heels of a well-received exhibition of works from the museum's permanent collection, she was fired, and the upcoming Donald Locke exhibition she was curating was canceled. A few days later, the board announced the museum was temporarily closing. The dismissal has roiled the black arts community, locally and nationally, prompting many to call into question the museum's viability. And some have raised questions about the condition of the collection itself. Go to accessatlanta.com and ajc.com to read Rosalind Bentley's in-depth account of the state of the museum, what artists and others are saying about the institution, and what the future holds. The newest member of the Real Housewives of Atlanta family is Sonia Richards-Ross, a four-time Olympic gold medal-winning track champion. The long-running Bravo show, now in production for its 14th season, is going through some changes after two major cast members voluntarily departed last year, Portia Williams and Cynthia Bailey. With Cherie Whitfield returning a third time and longtime recurring character Marlo Hampton promoted to a main role, Richards Ross is the sole fresh face, the first genuine athlete ever on the cast. Get the details on Rodney Ho's Georgia Entertainment Scene blog at accessatlanta.com. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to accessatlanta.com and ajc.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin. And I'm your host and the AJC's arts and entertainment editor, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.